All right. Welcome to Cornerstone Community Church. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and we exist to inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, because we know that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. For the benefit of those who are watching or listening online, we would love for you to check in to let us know who you are so that we can welcome you personally and stay in touch. The easiest way to do that is with our app. If you go to the app and open it up, you will see that check-in button. Click on that, and you will be able to check in. You can also go directly there with that uh cornerstonenh.org slash here link. So uh, we are in a series called Unfinished Business. We are in part five, and it's all about the book of Titus. And we've been working through the book of Titus, and the kind of theme statement at the very beginning, it's the Apostle Paul writing to his apprentice and co-worker Titus, And he says this, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there. And within the last couple of weeks, I've told you what that work is and given you five words. And if you're taking notes in the growth guide, there's space for this on the very first page. Five words that sum up the book of Titus. So now I'm going to give you a pop quiz. I'm married to a teacher, so she sometimes inspires me. So we're going to do a pop quiz. What are those five words? Look at it there. What's What's the first one? Make sure our deeds. Excellent. Very good. Make sure our deeds line up with our creed. Good. So that we have people who are qualified to lead excellent tommy is getting a hundred percent right here let me tell you he's putting all of us to shame and our reputation won't this is a tough one impede our reputation will impede as we meet urgent needs excellent you guys get a hundred percent so that's what this is all about it's the apostle paul writing to titus as they are establishing the church saying, make sure that our deeds line up with our creeds so that we have people who are qualified to lead and our reputation will impede as we meet urgent needs. So that first uh, statement from the intro to the book of Titus, he's talking about appointing leaders. And so the question that we're going to talk about today is what qualifies someone for leadership? What qualifies someone for leadership? If you're looking for somebody who is going to be in a position of leadership, there are a lot of things that you think about skill-wise and character-wise and things like that. But the interesting thing, and this will come as no surprise, is in the list of the different things that the Apostle Paul tells Titus to look for, he focuses on one thing. And that is the title of today's message, Character. It's all about character. There are surprisingly few skills mentioned in the job description for a church leader. It's all about their character. So today we are going to be talking about the qualifications for leadership. And this has application, obviously, 
for church because that's the primary context that this is writing about, but it also has application when you're thinking about, well, who should I hire for this position or should I take this job under this particular boss or leader? How should I vote on Tuesday? All of those are related and help, and this process, this um, this way of thinking about things will help you in making all of those decisions. So the bottom line is very simple, very straightforward. You could probably guess that the bottom line is character qualifies. Character is what qualifies. So I'm going to give some examples from the scriptures of where we get this. Then we're going to celebrate communion. And then I'm going to talk about how to specifically apply this idea of character and I'm going to suggest that everyone makes sure that you are in a no focus group and if you have no idea how I got from character qualifies to be in a life group that's okay I'll make the connection and if you don't know what a no focus group is you'll understand before the end so let's look at this passage that we're going to focus on together this is Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 16 and then I'm going to skip ahead and look at a couple of verses in chapter 3 as well if you want to follow along you can use the burgundy Bibles that are lying around I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 16 to begin with I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. An elder is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Verse 10, for there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing any good. Now skip ahead to chapter 3, verses 2 to 7. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. 
we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in this season of gratitude, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather. We are grateful for your Holy Spirit that inspired your word and speaks to us through it even now today. Lord, that is my prayer, that you would use your word to speak to everyone here, everyone watching, everyone listening, that they will hear exactly what they need to hear out of this message, that you would sovereignly, lovingly direct and guide us through this process and that we will be different as a result of what we hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so remember I said I would take this idea that character qualifies and just look at some examples in the scripture to kind of walk you through it. Now, there was a bunch in that passage that I read, so we're obviously not going to go through all of it in detail, but I want to just reinforce this idea that it is character that qualifies in the passage that we looked at and some of the other passages that we've looked at as well. This passage was focused on the idea of choosing or selecting or appointing elders. Now, elders, as we talked about before, are the equivalent to pastors for us in our setting. But we also talked about deacons, and deacons in our setting are equivalent to team leaders, small group leaders, small group pastors. So I want to point your attention back to the passage that we looked at. In the example of the first deacons, that when they were selected in Acts chapter 6, It is character that qualifies. So even from the very beginning, even when we're not talking about pastors, we're talking about somebody who's going to be leading a ministry of the church. In the example of the first deacons, the selection of the first deacons, it is character that qualifies. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And so, brothers and sisters, I added that that alternate reading because the idea, the word that's used there is not just specific to men, it's men and women. He said, this is the one of the apostles speaking to the church, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, I'll just remind you, the job that they were being selected for was basically handing out food. It, the word deacon is a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos, which means someone who serves tables. It's, the, it's, it's your server at the restaurant. That's what that word originally means. So it's a person who's going to be handing out food. Now, notice that even for this seemingly unimportant or relatively menial job, we're going to hand out food, the number one thing that they chose as a qualification was their character. People who are well-respected, full of spirit and wisdom. 
Now, wisdom is something that is associated with Jesus. It's a spiritual gift. And biblically, I define it this way, and this is in your growth guide notes if you want to write this down. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied to a particular situation. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied to a particular situation. People, it's not just knowing stuff. It's not just knowing the right stuff. It is knowing how to take information, knowledge, truth, and then looking at a particular situation and being able to apply it correctly and effectively to that particular situation. When I was studying up on the idea of wisdom and trying to come up with that succinct the definition, I ran across this verse, which I had run across in my devotional reading. It's Psalm 16, 7, second half of the verse. That's what the B means in the Passion Translation. It says, your whispers in the night give me wisdom, showing me what to do next. And I like that. I thought that was, that was a good practical outworking of what it means to have God's wisdom. It's, it's, uh, we're told that we have the mind of Christ. We have God's Holy Spirit living inside of us. We, we can read his mind. He shares his thoughts with us. And so when you're facing a situation where you don't know what to do, where there are options and some could turn out well and some could turn out poorly, what this, the, the testimony of the psalmist is this. Even as I'm lying in my bed at night, thinking about all the choices that I face and the troubles and difficulties in my life, you're whispering in my ear, do this. This is the way to handle it. Showing me what to do next. And a person who is qualified for leadership, part of that character is a sensitivity to and a listening to and a leaning into the leading of God's Holy Spirit. So it talked about wisdom, but it also talked about being full of the Spirit. And another passage where it talks about being filled with the Spirit is the classic verse, Ephesians 5:18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I always love that verse because I think it gives us a lot of insight into what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Because when you're drunk, something outside of you becomes the controlling influence in your life. You do things that you wouldn't normally do, act in ways that you wouldn't normally act, say things that you wouldn't normally say, and all of the above usually being stupid things. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit becomes the controlling influence in your life. And you do things that you wouldn't normally do. You say things that you normally wouldn't say, usually smart good, holy, beneficial things. So that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the controlling influence in your life. And when you're looking for people who will lead, you're looking for someone within the Christian context, someone who's got the Holy Spirit as the controlling influence in their life. So Character qualifies. We see that in the example of the selection of the first deacons. But we also see that in the selection of the Cretan elders. Now, as you'll see, and you'll, you'll understand why, Cretan is usually a derogatory statement, but I'm not using it in that sense now. I'm talking about people from Crete. P, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus on Crete, and he's telling them how to select the elders for the Cretan church. It sounds kind of funny, but that's what's going on. And look at what he starts out with. An elder must live a blameless life. 
Now, that doesn't mean sinless perfection. What it means is above reproach. They are generally somebody that does the right thing, is well-spoken of, has a good reputation, a person who is blameless. Uh, You see it repeated in the very next verse. This is the New International Version. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. And when we were talking about elders, I mentioned that there are several words that are translated uh, into elder, leader, pastor. We kind of use those interchangeably. Overseer, episkopos, is the word there. Skopos, you know, scope, look over, epi, above, someone who oversees. So, blameless is repeated both times. Now, in between there, it talks about the person's family life and it emphasizes that they are faithful to their spouse and also a good parent. And that's what I want to focus in on, just this little section, because I think that sometimes this passage can lead to unnecessary guilt on our part and unnecessary disqualification or judgmentalism when we look out from our own family. Here's why. Let me explain this to you, and this just might set you free a little bit and help you to understand what is really being said here. I love this graph. I forget where I first saw this kind of uh, graph, but it's basically a picture of parenting over the course of years. So in this section on the top, that triangle, that top section is control, and on this section on the bottom, it's influence. What happens over time is you have less and less control and hopefully more and more influence. Now, when you first get started and you have a newborn baby, here's where you are. You have no influence over them whatsoever and all kinds of control, right? So I remember with our first child, when uh, he first started to learn to crawl, that was a major event in my life. Because it used to be I could set him down somewhere and I could go and do something else and I could come back and he'd still be right there, right? I had complete control. But then he learned how to crawl. And I put him down someplace and I would get distracted or look around or do something else. And he wasn't there anymore because he was beginning to exert a little bit of his own control in his life, right? Now, my son, that one that I was just talking about, is now 30. Now the line is way over here, (laughs) right? And that's the way it should be, right? That's what we want. We want our kids to be able to grow and mature and make their own decisions. So at some point, you're going to be all the way over here, you'll have no control, and the only thing that you'll have left is influence. Now, another thing that I want to point out before I get to the the meat of this application is when we were doing the Paradigm series, this was one of the principles for reading and understanding the Bible and doing it well, doing it skillfully to remember that context is king. This, was, this passage was written to a very different context than the one that we have now, and very different family and household situations. This line, you know, we're kind of 
into it right now. That might be for us, our 12-year-old, right? We, we still have a, a pretty good amount of control, 12 to 16, but, but it's moving more and more towards influence. We don't have control anymore. In their context, because of the way that households were set up, this could be the 30-year-old. The, the, the father might still ex, exert a lot of control. The children might live in their household. They might have financial leverage over them. They might not get to this point until dad's in the ground, right? So it's important to remember that context as well. Now, here's why I go through all of that. Your children, and notice that the word there is children, you have a certain amount of control and influence, but at some point they have responsibility for their own behavior. And this passage is not, and we as not, we should not as a church be harshly judging and condemning people because someone who is a, an adult and in control of their own lives somehow is not doing the right thing. And I will remind you that the end of the story hasn't been written yet. We don't know exactly how people's stories are going to turn out. And so to be constantly judging parents, depending on what their kids are doing on any particular day, is not helpful, fair, or what the scriptures are prescribing. So release yourself from the guilt and condemnation that the enemy would like to put on you in your life. And also, let's extend a little bit of grace and a little bit of understanding and a little bit of wisdom and insight when we're evaluating others and their lives as well. The heart of this passage is not condemnation, it's wisdom. And I like the message translation because I think it kind of pulls it out. It says, as you select them, as you're appointing elders, these, the feel I get from the way it's translated, which I think is accurate, is these are the kinds of things you should at least consider, right? These are the things that you should be looking at. Ask, is this man well thought of? That's the, the translation of blameless. Is he committed to his wife? Are his children believers? Notice that it says children believers, and that's where context is important because in that context, your children were of the same faith as you. There wasn't, uh, oh, well, we'll let them decide. No, that's not how it worked in those days. So if a person's children were not believers, if they were always in trouble, that was an, a, a suggestion that they're not exerting the control that they do have. They're not taking responsibility for their part. Not that you have to control or be responsible for everything that another person is in control of or responsible for. So remember to understand that in context. Now, so if you have a little, little children and they're running wild, then maybe that person might not be the best person to oversee an entire church. But it's not crossing over into that condemnation and holding them responsible for things that they cannot control. So be set free. Uh, going on, character qualifies. We see that in the selection of the first deacons. We see that in the selection and in the list 
of the Cretan elders, but also character qualifies as evidence of God's grace. Character qualifies as evidence of God's grace. Here's what I mean by that. While there's a lot of evidence, a lot of emphasis in the book of Titus on the elders and the church's character, and appropriately so, at no time is it suggesting that the point of your faith is for you to just try harder and be gooder. That's that's not the emphasis here. It is rather reminding us... Reminding us that good character is an outworking of the grace of God in our lives. So it's not that if you don't see good character, you're supposed to try harder and be a better person. It is, look, if God's grace and mercy is at work in your life, it's going to be evidenced by good character because that's what God's power and grace in your life do. And in the midst of this, be watching for good character. Be people of good character. Be committed to doing good. The Apostle Paul steps back and just reminds people of the gospel. He says, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves, we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. He's saying, look, you're going to have to deal with these difficult people and these people that are teaching false doctrine and uh, people of poor character. So that's why it's important for you to be of good character. But remember, when you're dealing with those people, they're not that different from you. We were in the same boat before God's grace got a hold of us. He says, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. Next part of the verse, our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. Before you get too judgy on the people around you, just remember, this is how it works. You were in the same boat. You were doing the same thing until God's grace got a hold of you. And that's where he says, "This is remember, this is what you were like as well. And then one of the best words in the Bible, that contrasting word, but. <laughs> but that's not the end of the story. That's not where he left you. Look at what's next. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and his love, he's talking about Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. He, God, saved us. And he did so not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It wasn't because we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's impossible. It was because of the mercy of God, not the righteousness of us, but the mercy of God. What did he do? He washed away our sins. He removed the guilt of the past, but also gave us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He wrote a new ending to our story and redirected our lives. Now that process begins when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to his forgiveness for the past, and we say yes to his leadership and his sovereign direction into the future. We become a people who are indwelt by his Holy Spirit, led by his Holy Spirit, committed to doing good, but and people of good character. 
but that's not the reason that we were adopted into his family. It is the result of our being adopted into his family. So that's why this is an appropriate time for us to celebrate communion. Because what does communion do? It is an ongoing reminder of the basis on which we stand before God. Not because of our own good behavior. We don't live up to our own standards, let alone God's. But because of what Christ did when, he re- when God revealed his mercy, his kindness, his goodness to us on the cross. So prepare by taking the bread. That bread is the reminder of Jesus' body, which was broken for us. He said, when you look at this, you remember, you, yes, are guilty, but the punishment of that guilt was laid on Christ. So do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And throughout the scriptures, the emphasis of blood is that that represents life. And so when we see the cup, we're reminded that Jesus poured out his life. When it says that he spilled his blood, when he poured out his blood, that's saying Jesus gave his life. Then we take in that cup, a reminder of the sacrifice But to me, it's also a reminder of the life that we have been given. Jesus laid down his life so that we could receive life. And when we partake of the cup, we are acting out that truth. He shed his blood, gave up his life. He shares his life with us. Also, the blood is a reminder that the debt has been paid that Jesus' death on the cross is the sacrifice that pays for and satisfies the guilt of our past so that we can receive that new life. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So we've seen how character qualifies as a consistent theme throughout choosing leadership in the scriptures. We've been reminded that character qualifies as evidence of God's grace. And now I want to kind of walk you through the practical steps that you can take based on what we've talked about today that will help make life better for you and make you better at life. We've been talking about qualifications. We say that character qualifies. And when I was thinking about, well, how do we apply this? I was remembering again, the context, remember context is king of this whole entire book that the church and its leaders were surrounded by people who were going in the opposite direction, people who were not going to be encouraging them in their faith, people who were not good examples. If you look through it, I'll just go quickly walk you through a couple of these. Uh, Titus 1.10, there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. 
the Cretan prophet who said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's why to call somebody a Cretan is a insult in our day and age. He goes on to describe others as people who claim that they know God, but deny them by the way that they live. Can anybody relate to the Cretan church? Have you been surrounded by people who aren't necessarily going to be encouraging of your faith, aren't necessarily providing good examples for you, aren't exactly pursuing the same kinds of things that you want to, per, to pursue? It's, it's hard to be in that setting. Some of you are in that setting in work. Some of you are in that setting in school. Some of you are in that setting in your families. And it's hard to swim against the current of that culture wherever you are. He goes on to say, they're detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. That Not that they're worthless people, but as far as getting anything good done, not going to happen, right? So he goes on describing the gospel. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us. That's what we just celebrated in communion, that he took us out of that current, out of that stream, and wrote a new story for our lives, put us in a new stream. But what is that new stream? What's the current? What, what, is, that, what is that setting that he has put us in? Look at what he says. And to make us his very own people, he made us a people. He gave you a family to encourage you, to spur you on in the right direction, took you out of the that context where going against the flow was your only option and put you in a new flow with people who are moving in the same direction as you, who have the same heart, who have the same priorities as you. He made you a people. But this people is different. This is a people who are totally committed to good deeds. Talked before about how the church, my ideal of the church is kind of like a greenhouse. It's pulling you out of the environment you've been in and placing you in an environment where you can grow and everything is arranged for and helpful for you to grow. That is the point of our membership and membership process. We looked at this last week. But all of these things, if you do these things, you will grow. It creates the environment for flourishing. And one of those is connecting in a group immediately. And I've talked about how the life groups, we're not talking about another meeting. We're talking about ministry. We're talking about making sure that every person who's at Cornerstone has a place of connection and has somebody who's watching out for them and somebody who is moving in the same direction with them. And so our groups are organized in that same way, according to those same priorities, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The last one over here, same color, is the no focus groups, to know, to build relationships, because we know that you have to connect relationally to grow spiritually. So that's why my application for today's message is to make sure that you're in a no-focused group because your character is going to grow and be encouraged as you are surrounded by people who are moving in the same direction and have the same priorities of you. You'll still have, you'll, you're still going to be in those other circles, but at least now you've got a circle that's going to be encouraging and helpful 
moving you in the direction that you want to go. So I'll just remind you, if you look at the app, if you go online, you can find the groups. All, all the groups are kind of color-coded now. You want to choose the ones that are the no-focused groups, connecting relationally. Those are the aqua-colored. And if you don't already have a group, I've created a new group that you just sign on. You'd be a part of that. I will make sure that you've got some point of connection and we'll start building a circle that will encourage and connect you at Cornerstone. So when you go to that group, click on request to join, and then we'll make sure that you have that circle here at Cornerstone with your church family. So let's make sure that everybody who calls Cornerstone their home church has a circle of ministry and encouragement. And we'll live out Hebrews 10.24, where we will spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace and kindness towards us that has rescued us, saved us, put us on a path towards you. And thank you, Lord, for giving us brothers and sisters to walk on that path, to care for us along the way. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church body to be really good at caring for and including others, making them a part of our circle so that nobody feels alone, nobody has to walk alone, everybody has a point of connection and a circle to be a part of. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart Show us exactly what we need to do with what we've heard today and give us the courage and faith, determination to act on it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.